Welcome, everyone. I'm Rabbi David Barron of our Temple of the Arts. We own this beautiful historic Savant Theater where we host, in addition to religious services, uh, many of our programs, our concerts, our special screenings, lecture series, and events throughout the year, and you're welcome. Go on our website, Temple of the Arts, for more information. Uh, we bought this beautiful theater in 2005 and began the process of landmarking it and historic restoration. And as the largest arts and entertainment industry synagogue in the country, we've been very devotedly working towards bringing special events to all of you. And I want to say something tonight. Um, I think all of you are inherently good for showing up tonight. You, you didn't listen to the maestros of lockdown, and you didn't listen to the fear of monkeypox, and you came out, and I want to commend you and thank you for doing so. So give yourselves a nice round of applause. It's, it's great to see unmasked faces, finally, and, and uh, we hope that will continue. So, an affirmation for this evening. I will take the time to listen to the perspective of other people and truly consider their point of view. Let's adopt that affirmation tonight. And in this world of um, political correctness and cancel culture uh, and cancellation of people's views, say we have an open mind. And tonight, we're very fortunate to hear the topic, Are Human Beings Inherently Good?, discussed by two really leading lights in our community. And I'm thrilled to have them with me, Dennis Prager and Rabbi Penny Dunner. We're going to follow a traditional debate format initially, and then we're going to sit down here for dialogue and discussion and take some questions. Uh, there's a microphone here where people will get an opportunity to ask a question. Um, you know, someone said that's a trap, Rabbi, because Jewish people tend to give statements or declarations and not ask a question. So after one minute, I think this was Dennis's suggestion, after one minute, the microphone cuts off. So make sure it's succinct and a question, and nothing less or more than that. Um, tonight, uh, the debate format will be eight to 10 minutes of initial presentation on this subject by each of our participants, each of our debaters, followed by five to six minutes of rebuttal by each one, followed by the debate, the discussion and dialogue and questioning component of that, and then a closing statement of two minutes by each of our distinguished speakers. Let me begin first by calling upon our first speaker, who will be Rabbi Penny Dunner. Rabbi Dunner is one of the leading rabbis here in our Los Angeles community. I can say uh, with great fondness that he's become a dear, dear friend. And as a colleague here in Beverly Hills, he's really created something exceptional in the young Israel of Beverly Hills community. He's also a scholar, a learned man, someone versed not just in Torah, but in psychology and in the arts and in the humanities. And so um, without a lengthy, lengthy CV introduction, let me say it's my great pleasure to introduce Rabbi Penny Dunner.
Thank you so much, Rabbi Barron, for your very warm introduction and for moderating this debate. I just love Rabbi Barron, so it's a pleasure to be here. And I'd also like to thank Dennis, Dennis Prager, who's here tonight for participating in this evening's debate. Hopefully we'll make some headway on this very heady topic. But let me not waste any time on preliminaries. Let's dive straight into what we are here to consider. Tonight's discussion has been dubbed the great debate by those who promoted it online and elsewhere. Although I'm not sure I agree with the description, it's certainly true that the topic of tonight's debate, whether or not humans are inherently good, is a great topic but I cannot guarantee that it will make for a great debate. That remains to be seen. Dennis is fond of saying that when he debates a topic, he aims for clarity, not winning. What he wants to know is this, where do we differ? Because even if neither side prevails, at least there will be clarity about what each side thinks about the topic at hand. In other words, why we think the way we do and why we disagree with each other. I happen to agree with Dennis on many things. Not that he needs my endorsement, I want to make that clear, but I think that Dennis has common sense and he's on the right side of many topics. However, you knew that however was coming. This does not mean that I am in lockstep with him on everything. And on this particular topic, I think Dennis is totally and completely wrong. <laughs> For the record, tonight's debate's title is inaccurate. Whether or not humans are inherently good is not what we originally got into a disagreement about. You see, this whole debate was sparked by an article that I wrote last December describing a notorious disagreement between the 17th century political theorist Thomas Hobbes and John Locke. In my article, I noted that Judaism firmly sides with Locke, who says that all human beings are naturally concerned for the welfare of other humans, which led him to reject the dictatorial authoritarian rule recommended by Hobbes, instead proposing universal democracy as a system of government because he believed that humans are collectively good and by default they want the best for others. I quoted a modern scientific study that supports Locke's opinion and we'll hopefully get to that in a moment. But more importantly, I explained that Judaism is in wholehearted agreement with the idea that humans are naturally good beginning with a verse in Genesis which says that humans were created Elohim, in the image of God. I then use this frankly uncontroversial concept as a backdrop to explain a gross miscalculation by the ancient Egyptians in their assumptions about how the less enslaved tribe of Levi, Levi, would behave towards their more enslaved brethren. It's not, I have to tell you, as if... I've never written and published a controversial article before. And I always know when I've done it. This article, not controversial. 
totally innocent, vanilla, or so I thought. Anyway, I published it and forgot about it. Then, a couple of weeks later, someone showed me a piece by Dennis in which he excoriated my article. It was not merely wrong, he said. It actually advances a thesis that is the opposite of what Judaism teaches. I did a double take. What was he talking about? And he didn't stop there. Apparently, my article proved that I was an orthodox rabbi who, like so many misguided non-orthodox rabbis, sorry, Rabbi Baron, had gone over to the dark side, leading me to distort one of the most important and normative ideas in Judaism. According to Dennis, I am living proof that secular values have entered Orthodox life just as they have entered the traditional Catholic and Protestant world. To be honest, I was amused, and I remain amused, that someone as intelligent as Dennis could be so informed about this, misinformed about the subject at hand and about me. And to compound his rather strident view of me and what I'd written, Dennis wrote as follows. I'm about to quote him. The Torah completely rejects the notion that man is basically good. I'll repeat that. The Torah, in other words, Judaism, completely rejects the notion that man is basically good. God himself states, Dennis wrote, that the will of man's heart is evil from his youth, Genesis 8.21, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time, Genesis 6.5. Powerful stuff, I think you'll agree, and quite unequivocal. Judaism, Dennis claims, thinks that humans cannot be good, which means that they are bad. What is particularly interesting about this assertion made by Dennis in January is that last week Dennis reversed his position and he did it in print. In an interview he gave for the Jewish Journal about tonight's debate, Dennis breezily said, Judaism's view of human nature is that we are neither basically good nor evil, but are inclined to sin. The idea that humans are neither basically good or evil is quite different, I think you'll agree, to completely rejecting the notion that man is basically good. I'm not hair-splitting. It's a major change, and in the same interview, Dennis said, I have never said that human beings are innately evil. Really, Dennis? Because isn't that exactly what you said in the article you authored in January, although you used Judaism and God as a foil? Anyway, seeing as our original disagreement revolved around whether Judaism considers humans to be inherently good or evil, I would like to divide tonight into two parts. The first... Judaism's view on whether humans are innately good, and the second, a more general discussion about the same topic. First, Judaism. In his article, Dennis contends that as an Orthodox rabbi and as a Jew, I should know better than to claim that humans are good. 
Then, using sleight of hand, he deftly conflates those out-of-context biblical quotations with references to the Holocaust and its very human perpetrators. Here's a quote. For a Jew to believe that humans are inherently good after the Holocaust is simply breathtaking, he writes. Apparently, basic, basically good people murdered six million Jews. Powerful. I'll get to the biblical misquotations in a minute, but let me say this. As a Jew, Dennis, and as someone who lost family members in the Holocaust, yes, I can believe that humans are inherently good even if what the Nazis did to the Jews was evil. All of humanity are not Nazi murderers. And to use Hitler and his henchmen, or Stalin, or Pol Pot, or Osama bin Laden and ISIS, as proof that we are all evil is about as preposterous as saying that because you know a bunch of people who died of cancer, that must mean we all have cancer. It's just cheap, emotive sensationalism. And frankly, you ought to know better. As to the biblical references, they have absolutely no bearing on this discussion. As I noted earlier, the Torah refers to humans as having been created in the image of God. And God is, I think even Dennis will agree, not evil. Immediately after telling us about human beings being created in the image of God, God blesses his human creations and a few verses later declares them to be tov ma'od, exceedingly good. So how do we explain the biblical references Dennis cites, which appear just a few chapters later and describe humans as being capable of evil from a very young age? The truth is, it's quite simple. Rabbi Mordechai Breuer, an unimpeachably orthodox rabbi, and one of orthodoxy's greatest modern era Bible interpreters, explains that there are many seeming contradictions in the Torah, and they all offer a glimpse into different aspects of God's word from diverse perspectives. In this particular case, the first perspective is at the beginning of Genesis. The Torah tells us humans are created in the image of God and that we are exceedingly good. The second perspective appears a little later on in Genesis and it reveals that humans can slip into bad behavior, a possibility that exists from the moment we're born simply because our God soul is housed in an animal body. But, and this is important, just because, this is the quote from the verse, the will of man's heart is evil from his youth, that's the verse that Dennis quoted. This doesn't mean that we are inherently bad. Absolutely not. We are still good, good, good. But with the capacity to do bad. Bad is the aberration. Good is the default. 
And that, my friends, is not Rabbi Pini Dunner's opinion. It's the official textbook opinion of a bona fide orthodox theologian, Rabbi Mordechai Breuer. And what's more, it's not a minority controversial opinion. It's totally mainstream going back over a thousand years of traditional Torah commentary. Let me give you some examples. The 16th century commentator, Don Isaac Abarbanel, considers the sin of Adam and Eve eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil to be an aberration. Earlier commentaries, Ramban, Nachmanides, and Rabbeinu Bachya, suggest that the power to do bad entered the human experience when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, but they nonetheless remained good, only that now they have the power to do bad. The late 18th, early 19th century rabbinic giant, Rab Chaim of Volozhin, says that the sin of eating the forbidden fruit made doing bad simpler. But once again, this does not mean that humans were created bad, nor does it mean that eating that by eating from the fruit of that tree, Adam and Eve became inherently bad. And the list of traditional commentaries with this perspective goes on, but my time is limited. Not up, but limited. The point is this. Do you know where the idea of humans being inherently evil comes from? It comes from Christianity. According to Christian doctrine, after Adam and Eve, all humans were born in a state of sin. This is known as the doctrine of original sin. Adam and Eve, as it were, transmitted their sin and their guilt to all of their human descendants. And this original sin doctrine has been the prerequisite for the Christian understanding of Jesus' crucifixion and his atonement for the sins of humanity on the cross. Dennis often talks about a concept that has gained wide popularity, referred to as the Judeo-Christian tradition. This vague notion encompasses all the moral underpinnings of Christianity and correlates them with similar notions contained in Jewish tradition. Well, please forgive me, I'm going to be an iconoclast. Let me state loud and clear on the record and for the record. Until quite recently, in human history terms, Christian tradition and practice was to persecute and or to murder Jews. Yes, it's true that over the past 150 to 200 years, many Christians have largely moved on from this default hostility towards Jews. Okay. And nowadays, as Jews, we do not need to fear that Christians are going to persecute us or murder us. I've spoken in churches, and Christian pastors have spoken in my synagogue. But to therefore suggest that we share a joint tradition is simply nonsense. Christianity has its tradition and Judaism has its tradition. Sometimes these traditions are similar. Most often they diverge. I'm going to pause here because I'm apparently over time. But uh, I'm sure that we'll get to some of my other points in the uh, time that we'll have in the next hour. Thank you. Well, it's uh, a novelty that a rabbi only went over by 15 minutes. Uh, 
Penny, you know, one of the great public speaking coaches I had many years ago said, public speaking is like wildcatting for oil. If you haven't struck oil in 15 minutes, quit boring. But your comments were anything but boring. They were very insightful. And right now, it's my pleasure uh, to introduce someone who I've known for decades. My goodness, he moved out here to California around the same time that I did in the late 70s. And uh, he went to Brandeis Bardeen Institute, where he became the director, and went on into the stratosphere from there uh, as a distinguished author, a major political commentator, conservative voice on radio, dealing with a whole host of issues, uh, creator of Prager University. And when I think about uh, one of his really most important books, The Rational Bible, I know he's going to have a lot to say in terms of insights from the biblical perspective. So right now, it's my great pleasure to call on someone I think of as well as a very dear friend, Dennis Prager. Dennis. Thank you, Rabbi Barron. I want to, I want to thank uh, Rabbi Dunner for speaking longer, because now I can. So it's, that was a great service, and I appreciate it. One thing that just needs to be said at the outset, I know this is not the rebuttal time, but uh, it, I want to put this truly as respectfully, because he, he has earned respect uh, with his life's work. So it's not meant in any way, he's not respectful, but he's not debating me, he's debating a make-believe me. Most of what he cited, I never wrote, never said, and never thought. I never said that all of humanity are evil, that the Nazis are proof that we are evil. I never said Judaism uh, does, uh, believes that uh, humans cannot be good. My, my life is devoted to promoting goodness. That's, that's all I work for. So I, I, I've just never said that. I don't believe it. I didn't change my second response. When you say that people are not basically good, you cannot, you should not infer that we are evil. That's not the same thing. Uh, and, and I almost always, I didn't in that essay, I should have said, of course, doesn't mean we're basically evil. But it is, again, I disagree with, it's not a great topic. There isn't a greater topic other than God's existence, whether or not people are basically good. The consequences of believing people are basically good is moral chaos, as I will come to in a moment. But first, uh, let me deal. There are, three real, there are three issues here. One is, are we basically good? The second is, what does Judaism say, which is not part of the topic, but I'm more than happy to venture in there for a moment. Uh, or what does the Bible say, whichever way you wish to phrase it. And the third is, why is it such an important topic? But let me begin uh, with the case, and it's just some arguments for not being innately good. Let's begin with babies. Babies are innocent, but they're not good. Okay, I never met a morally good baby. I raised two babies, and I've known many babies in my lifetime. I was a baby, and my parents did not think I was a good baby. A good baby would do as follows. You know, uh, I've ruined my parents' sex life, and I, I, I won't cry tonight. I won't throw up this evening. 
I, I will really care for their love life. That's what promoted me. That's what made me, after all. Uh, babies don't think morally. They're not bad and they're not good. But the notion that we're born good is an absurdity. Babies are not good. Babies are the quintessence of narcissism. I want nipple, I want milk, I want mommy, and if you do not give me all of these things, I will ruin your life. <laughs> My friends, that is not goodness, just for the record. And then we get older, and then we have children. Good children? Have you seen children interact in camp settings or school settings? Isn't bullying a major factor in most children's lives? I wonder if there were 10 people out of the 400 here tonight who were not bullied when they were a child, or perhaps either bullied or either were bullied or bullied others. I was a camp counselor. I saw uh, rotten behavior on the parts of kids. Do you know the hardest thing in the world is to make good people? The most important project on earth is to make good people? But for those who believe we're basically good, there is no such project, right? You don't have to make the good good. Just one word on Judaism, uh, a religion with hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of laws thinks we're basically good? That's a bit bizarre. Why the hell do we need all those laws if we're basically good? Why would God say, do not murder? It's beyond belief. That's why I say it is the opposite of Judaism. I stand by that fully. If Judaism thought we're basically good, Judaism is useless. What do we need it for? If we're all basically good pianists, we don't need piano teachers. So uh, it, to, to me, it is, an, it, it is just, it is, it's, it's, Jewishly speaking, it's a non-issue. So, all right, so we have children. Uh, how, many, how many times did the average, does the average parent say to their child, say thank you? If we were basically good, once would work. I have, I have actually calculated, I would say the average parent has said to their child, say thank you 10,000 times. Why, if we're basically good, wouldn't we say, you know, mom is right. I should express gratitude whenever something good is done for me. But they don't, because we're born ingrates. We're not born grateful. Or, if you will, we're neither born ingrates nor grateful, to even be more precise. You have to teach people the most elementary decency, like just to be grateful and express it if somebody has done something good. And now let's go to adults. I'm just curious, is it easier to be faithful throughout a marriage or to cheat every so often? Okay, it's a rhetorical question, my friends. It, it doesn't need to be answered. That's why there's a, one of the Ten Commandments, do not commit adultery. Because the temptation to commit adultery is one that people fight, especially men and increasingly women, their, their whole life. That is it. The, we are, this is on, the reason I am convinced the reason people want to believe we're basically good is because this sounds depressing. I will prove to you that it is actually a major source of happiness to know that people are not basically good, but I, I will come to that in a moment. But let's just again understand that in adult life, one has to suppress the urge to have an extramarital affair. That is the natural human being. It gets worse. 
It is innate for men to rape, just as it is for animals. I know this is bad news for women to hear, but after all, feminists certainly have said this. They have said men are pigs for their whole time. Male nature is pretty awful. That is correct. Most men don't rape. A lot of men have in the history of the world, and when they can, like in war, they have done it all the time. Rape is natural. Fidelity and kindness are not as natural. That's just the way it is. However, a good man is a gem, and any man can be made good. That's why there are laws on what to do with a female ca captured in war in Deuteronomy. One of the reasons I believe in the Torah is because of that extraordinary law. You cannot rape a woman. You want that woman that you conquered in war, says Deuteronomy? You have her sit in your home, mourn her family, and then you can marry her. And that is the only circumstance under which you can touch her. That's unbelievable, given what has been, what has been done in, uh, in war. Uh, next one. We're basically good? Oh, really? I went to a yeshiva through high school. There were 120 students in my senior class. 117 cheated on tests. Three of us did not. Okay? Apparently it didn't catch on. By the way, a lot of things don't catch on. I went, one of the reasons I wrote my article to begin with was if my opinion, and I don't, this, this, I don't intend in any way to insult Rabbi Barron, who is a dear friend, uh, I, I am very pessimistic about reform and conservative Judaism in America. Uh, I, I am not halachically fully orthodox. I have orthodox beliefs, but not all their practices. But uh, if, if orthodoxy fails, Judaism in America is truly doomed. I went to the biggest Jewish day school in Florida, and I asked the students, how many of you would save your dog first or a stranger first if both were drowning? And they almost all had dogs, and in Florida they live by the ocean, so they all could answer the question. I got the exact same answer at the modern Orthodox day school in Miami that I do in secular schools anywhere else in the country, and I've been asking this question for 40 years. Would you save your dog or a stranger first if both were drowning? One-third said the dog, one-third the stranger, and one-third didn't know. Two-thirds of kids at a Jewish day school didn't know that they should save a stranger before the dog they loved because they were taught in their life, follow your heart. I love my dog. I don't love the stranger. They weren't told the obvious. God, man is created in God's image and is infinitely more precious than even the dog you love. By the way, same thing happened with a Christian school in Orange County at, at the uh, Nixon Library. I asked these Christian kids the question, same exact answers as at secular school. To the credit of the rabbis in the modern Orthodox school and the, and the Christian teachers in the Christian school, they were heartbroken at the answers that their kids gave. It's very hard to make good people. That's the greatest project in life. Is it easier to be honest or to cheat on tests, in business, etc.? Uh, I mentioned bullies, I mentioned babies, and then the obvious. I guess when I raise Auschwitz and Gulag and slavery and the Roman games where people just yucked it up 
while women were raped by hyenas and gladiators were torn to shreds and they loved it and, they, and it, it was the great pastime in Rome. All these people were basically good. Isn't that amazing? At a given point of all of the evil in history, I think you have to say, maybe this is a flawed creature, the human, who under the correct education can be made beautiful, but we don't start out that way. So I'll give you one that's really revealing, treatment of animals. This is from a book on the Enlightenment that I just read, Animals in 18th Century Europe. As he writes, what we would consider appalling cruelty to animals was commonplace. Unwanted dogs were routinely drowned or hanged. Cats were burned alive at festivals to entertain the public with their screams. Entertain the public? Were they taught to be sadists? One doubts it. You have to be taught not to be a sadist. You know how many kids do bad things to animals? They burn the cats alive at festivals. The atheist priest Jean Meslier reports with horror how peasants attach live cats to the top of an upright pole and light a fire at its base. Quote, to have the pleasure of seeing the violent movements and hearing the frightful cries that these poor unfortunate beasts are forced to make because of the savagery of the tortures. Songbirds were blinded to make them sing better. In Saxony, in Germany, a favorite amusement for courtiers was fox tossing, in which a fox was tossed in a blanket until it died. Friedrich Nikolai, visiting Vienna in 1781, visited, witnessed the animal combats, which were held on Sunday afternoon in a wooden amphitheater. amphitheater. He saw a bull attacked by eight dogs, one of which gripped it by the testicles, while another tore off an ear, and a pig eaten alive by two wolves. And they were cheering and laughing and boozing it up. After a certain number of these examples about life, isn't it, isn't it like obvious? You know how I felt coming to this debate? And with this I'll conclude, maybe early. <laughs> I was invited to Oxford, to the famous uh, Oxford Debating Society, and you could see it on YouTube. And the topic was, which is the greater obstacle to peace in the Middle East, Hamas or Israel? And when I saw the topic, I, my wife is a witness, I called Oxford up. I thought, I thought that maybe some pro-Israel students had sneaked in this topic because it was such a ludicrous topic to debate. You have to be kidding. We're gonna debate whether Hamas or Israel is the greater uh, impediment to peace in the Middle East? And sure enough, they said, yes, that's the topic, Mr. Prager. And I began my, my comments, you can see it, as I said, on YouTube, saying, folks, I couldn't believe this was the topic. We're actually debating at the most prestigious university in Europe, whether Israel or Hamas is the greater obstacle? My friends, that's how I feel tonight. We're actually debating whether the human being is basically good? That's sad. Thank you. The next
portion of the program is going to be a rebuttal. First, a rebuttal from Rabbi Dunner and Penny, eight minutes, not a minute more. Um, and then Mr. Prager, Dennis, eight minutes for rebuttal as well. And then we're going to sit down here in these three chairs and have an opportunity for dialogue and discussion back and forth and taking some questions. So I'll begin with the first uh, rebuttal, which will be Rabbi Dunner. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rabbi Barron. Thank you, Dennis. Dennis, you seem to have a problem with babies. Uh, it upsets me. I, I just I love babies, but you're always talking them down. Uh, I'm going to quote you because um, you know, everyone needs to hear what, what it is that you say about babies. We are born with real potential to do good, but we are not basically good. Take babies. You heard him say it. Babies are lovable and innocent but they're not good. Those were Dennis's words, right? You heard it. Babies are entirely self-centered. I want mummy. I want milk. I want to be held. I want to be comforted. And if you do not do all of these things, immediately I will ruin your life. I left one word out. That's not goodness, says Dennis. That's narcissism. Hi, Dennis, Dennis, that's your proof that human beings are not inherently good because babies who cannot fend for themselves, who we have brought into the world, want to eat because otherwise they'll die? Really? Are you serious? Is it evil to be concerned with your own survival? I'm sorry, Dennis, that's just rubbish. To equate a baby's instinct to survive with not being good, in other words, somehow babies are they're in the spectrum, right? At one end of the spectrum are babies, and at the other end of the spectrum is Hitler and Osama bin Laden. Really? That's the proof? It doesn't make any sense. It's superficial. It's ridiculous. Scientific evidence actually has proven otherwise. In 2007, a foundational study by three psychologists at Yale, and I know that Dennis is going to get up here and rebut Yale and say that they're all lefty professors who are trying to foist wokeism on the world. But listen to what the evidence says. They discovered something amazing about something called pre-verbal babies. Preverbal means babies who have not yet learnt to speak. In other words, they've barely emerged into consciousness. Now listen to this. The evidence shows that these babies, all the babies in the study, were aged six months to ten months, tend to take into account an individual's actions towards others when they evaluate whether or not that individual is appealing. That's just amazing. The same babies that Dennis considers to be not good, they want people who they are surrounded by to be nice to other people. They're not selfish. 
And given the chance, they share and they smile. And I know that Dennis spoke about bullying. That's, of course, older children. What about all the children who go on an outing and they're given food by their mum and they're sitting next to a kid who wasn't given lunch by their mum and they give the kid food? Where's that coming from? Does that mean they're not good? What about all the adults? Dennis spoke about adults who do good in the world. Of course, it's easy to focus on Auschwitz and, and on gulags and it sounds exciting and dramatic how evil people are and people watching dogs eating pigs and, and bulls and biting off their testicles. I mean, that's, I mean, it's just like gruesome. Oh my gosh, that it must mean that humans are evil. What about the thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of acts of kindness, gratuitous acts of kindness that are done every day by people who have absolutely no reason to do those acts of kindness? I've just returned from Poland, from the Ukrainian border where there are hundreds of volunteers from all over the world helping Ukrainian refugees. I met a volunteer from India. He said he's from Calcutta. I said, what are you doing here? He said, I'm here to help the refugees. I said, why? He said, because there's people in need. When did you arrive? He said, the war started on the 24th of February. I was here on the 26th. He said, what about your job? He said, well, I hope my boss will take me back when I get back. He'd been there eight weeks by the time I was in Poland. So what do you do here every day? He says, I give the refugees food. I give them blankets. I talk to them. I give them comfort. That's kindness. That's goodness. That's inherent. That's innate in a human being. We want to be nice to people. We see somebody on the bus, we smile at them. Rabbi Barron is hovering in the background there. So I think I've come to the end, but we'll do more of this when we chat on the couch. Thank you so much. Thank you. Dennis, eight minutes. Rebuttal. Did he go over? I want to go over. No. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know why... It, it's, it's not clear that I actually think there are good people. <laughs> so I, this constant reference to that there really are some good people is, is, is not a rebuttal to anything I said. But I, 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 so rather than even rebut right now, I'd like to add things that I, I didn't say earlier that are important. Uh, the, the rabbi wrote twice uh, in his own article and then in uh, this, the Beverly press. It, after this debate, it will be clear that humanity has everything to be hopeful for and positive about. Uh, yeah, this is it. I want people who watch the debate to walk away feeling better about themselves. I think that's a big part of, of why the rabbi and, and many others want to believe that people are basically good. They want to feel better about themselves. I find that odd though. I think you feel better about yourself if you know you're not basically good and you have achieved goodness. I mean, that, that's an achievement. That, so it, it, it's, 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 it's a bizarre way of looking at life. I'll tell you another benefit in terms of happiness, and I'm a happy guy, 
Uh, and I'll tell you a big benefit uh, of the understanding that people are not basically good. This is huge. When you meet good people, you're almost delirious. It is such a pleasant surprise. Whereas, and I know this from 40 years of radio, talking to people from every walk of life, people who believe people are basically good usually end up getting slapped in the face by life. They're shocked at all the people who have hurt them. We're, they're not prepared. They have been given no armament of truth. So they live in a make-believe fantasy world for, for, for the naive and for the childlike. Oh, people are basically good. Gee, so why, why was I just cheated by the guy I trusted? Why was I just hurt by, by, by this, this, this individual? Why, 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 why? And they, they just walk around and then they get bitter. I walk around constantly in amazement at all the good people that I do meet. It is such a happier way to live. Just, just, just for the record, I have, we, uh, uh, in this regard, and I'm sure in many regards, we agree on many things. But we're not debating what we agree on. <laughs> we're debating what we differ on. We have nothing in common on this issue. Nothing. I wish we did. Do I not believe people are capable of good? Did I ever say there are no good people or there aren't good people or, or anything like that? My life is devoted to cultivating good people. And they're in my life. And yes, babies are not good. Why is that controversial? A Yale study, you know what? Yes, I will crap on Yale. You were, that you were right. You were 100% right. I will. You, 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 know, you know how many studies from Yale and Princeton and, and other Ivy League universities and other universities now reveal that that sex in the human being is non-binary, that, the, that where, whereas every mammal, every primate, virtually everything above the most primitive insect comes in male and female, not, a, not humans. American Medical Association has just announced that the sex of a child should not be listed because we really don't know the sex when they're born. That's what experts are telling us. Why, do they why are they making such foolish studies? We know that the pre-verbal baby is good. I'll tell you why. Secular people don't believe in God, so they better damn well believe in humans. That's the reason. Why would a, why would a religious person believe in humans? Uh, that's, that's a tougher question to answer, given the record. I, that I believe humans can be beautiful, and there are beautiful human beings. Uh, there's a Yad Vashem, uh, there's a garden of the righteous, Chasideu Mot the righteous of the world's peoples, at, at Yad Vashem, the great Holocaust memorial of the world, the one in Jerusalem. Why is there a garden for, for, for good people? Because you could fit all the names of the good people of the 1940s in a garden. That's why. There were good people. You know that I have spent much more of my life studying goodness than evil? And you know why? Because I know that real goodness is an aberration compared to evil. That's why. People are afraid. People are cowardly. People have to fight their, their own instincts. It's a battle. It's a battle to be good. 
It's a battle to be sober. It's a battle to be faithful. It's a battle to be honest. What's wrong with that? It's a beautiful task in life to try to achieve that and to raise our children to want to be like that. So uh, it's a much better way to go through life. You can't cure cancer if you deny that people have cancer. You can't cure moral cancer if you deny that we have it. We'll continue, thank you. So we are going to uh, have this next portion which will be uh, a dialogue, a debate, a discussion, really more of a discussion and a point-counterpoint on this, on this phase. And what I wanted to do is throw out a couple of things and get both of your reactions to them. The first is um, there's a Native American story about a young boy who turns to his father and um, the father says to the young man, um, you know, there are two wolves inside of each and every one of us and these two wolves do battle endlessly. And the young boy thinks for a minute and he turns to his father and says, Father, which one wins? And the response is, the one you feed. And uh, I personally believe that in Jewish tradition we have this kind of conflict between good and evil and what we call the inclinations, the Yetzer Hatov and the Yetzer Hara, the evil inclination and the good inclination. And in fact, if you look at the biblical verse carefully, uh, it doesn't say that God, that your inclination is evil. It's the ruminations of your heart, the inclination of, of your biological imperative to do for yourself alone is a primitive and it's a biologically encoded in our DNA survival instinct. And that has to be overcome with sharing. Now we know that a child's, 70% of a child's personality, according to recent studies, is formed by age five, 70%. So that means the impact of teaching altruism, fair play, cooperation, molds and shapes. And does it mold and shape from someone inherently in one arena or the other? That for me is the great question. There's a scientist, Dr. Paul Zak, a professor at Claremont, who said the answer is in chemistry, which I thought was really fascinating. He said that uh, we focused on chemistry behind the behaviors that cause people who often have no clear explanation for why they're doing what they're doing. We wanted to study and measure brain activity. And the research largely confirmed the argument for why human beings can be virtuous. Virtuous behavior is caused, according to Professor Zach, by the brain's release of neurotransmitters. When it's testosterone, um, when it's testosterone, virtue wanes and selfishness dominates. When oxytocin is released, we feel empathy and it increases our sensitivity to people around us. So creating the nurturing environment shapes Someone who I don't know I feel is more of a blank page. 
not a clearly defined uh, good or, or evil. What is your response? Uh, uh, I'll start with Dennis and then go to Rabbi Dunner on, on these points. I, I have no argument with regard to oxy, oxytocin and, uh, and testosterone. I, I have nothing to say. Uh, I don't know what uh, hormone you can inject or induce that produces the, the most critical thing, the most critical ingredient of goodness, and that's courage. Is there a courage hormone? Uh, I wish there were. I, I, would, I would believe in that more than I the... I give more you than an the, insight into yeah. that, Dennis. Okay. Uh, the Oliners uh, did a study on altruism, what constitutes the altruistic personality. And both professors, uh, husband and wife team, found something really fascinating, that people who acted heroically during the Shoah and rescuing others who had what they defined as the altruistic personality seemed to have, in a preponderance of cases, families that sat down at the dinner table and asked them provocative questions about their life and what they would do in different sets of circumstances. So that's their theory in response. To well, it's funny you should mention, I knew uh, Pearl and Sam Oliner very well. I have a uh, published dialogue with them at uh, great length. I interviewed them. And just for the record, I asked them, uh, both were secular Jews who had been saved in, in the Holocaust. And I asked them, if you had to go back to Europe again and try to be rescued by a non-Jew, would you knock on the door of a professor, a doctor, a teacher, or a priest. Both said a priest. I have a feeling that they thought religion was more significant and they were secular than even whether your parents asked you questions at the dinner table. I, I have that actually in print. So it's just an interesting thing that you should raise them. I do want to raise one other thing since uh, I, I didn't uh, take up much time on testosterone. So uh, when, when um, when Rabbi Dunner mentioned that God said that it was good after creating the human being, I think it should be noted, and this is not news to anybody here, and, or to many of you perhaps, God said it was good in, in five of the six days of creation. So when God created insects, he said it was good. Are there moral insects? Are insects basically good? God said it was good after he created uh, the, uh, the sun and the stars and the moon. God was reflecting on the greatness of his creation, and he did so. But when, it, when, when God created the human being, where it says very good, I fully acknowledge, but it is not necessarily a statement that the human being is morally good. He, he was proud of his creation as he should have been. The flood, the flood proves that. Uh, Rabbi Dunner to respond. Can you hear me? Hello. Want to use it? Hold on. Thank you, Rabbi Barron. I'll give it back to you. I promise. Um. I'm, I'm not convinced by the chemical argument. Chemistry definitely plays its role, but it plays its role in everything. 
as do genetics, as do, you know, it's the nature-nurture thing, isn't it? But I, I do think that we have a neshama. We say every morning in our prayers, neshama shenatata bi tohorahi. The soul that you gave to me, God, is pure. That soul needs to be nurtured spiritually, not necessarily with chemicals or good meals, or even necessarily the type of nurture which is parents telling their children to say thank you. It's a different type of nurturing. It's a spiritual nurturing. And I do think that inherently people aspire to goodness. I want to share with you, if I have two or three minutes, a story. I wasn't thinking of saying this story, but I, we've spoken so much about um, Holocaust and the Holocaust survivors. And I'm a witness to this story, not directly, but indirectly. Uh, many years ago, I was in Bratislava. It was a conference of rabbis, and Simon Wiesenthal spoke. He was very moved. He was given an award by the rabbis, and he said he'd never been to an event with so many rabbis in his life. He wasn't a religious man. Even in Poland before the Holocaust, he wasn't religious, but uh, he, he said he wanted to share a story about a rabbi. And he said when he was after the war, uh, he'd survived, and there was a rabbi who came from America. We happen to know that that rabbi was a man from Cincinnati called Rabbi Eliezer Silver. And it came to that time in the day when one has to daven mincha. We just daven mincha a few moments ago. And Rabbi Silver said, can we have a minion? Is there a minion here? Do we have a few people who want to daven mincha? And he tapped Simon Wiesenthal on the shoulder and said, would you join us for the minion? He said, definitely not. I will never join a minion in my life. And Rabbi Silver said to him, why not? So he said, because I had an experience in the camps that put me off religion forever. There was this man who had a siddha. He'd smuggled in a prayer book to the, to the concentration camp. And every day, uh, people would ask him for the siddha. And he'd say, yes, if you give me part of your ration, I, I will give you my siddha. And he turned the siddha, this prayer book, this religious artifact, this religious experience of praying into a commodity, into something commercial. And it sickened me so much, I just can never pray again. And Rabbi Silva said to him, how many people each day would ask this man for the siddha? He said, oh, they would line up every day and they'd give him their piece of bread and they would use the siddha. He said, you fool. Why are you looking at the man who traded the siddha for pieces of bread? Why not look at all those people who lined up every day and gave their crust of bread so that they could pray? My friends, I believe that human beings have a desire to be good and that it comes with them at birth. And yes, of course, we have all types of distractions that take us away from who we are meant to be and who we really are. And that's the animal side of us. That's the side of us that we all want to pretend we don't have, but which we do. But essentially, we're good. I'll leave it there. I'll just... Uh... Just a word about the soul. The soul is pure, uh, but we're stuck uh, on earth. And we're not just souls, we're souls and animals. 
And uh, the, the rabbi, in fact, in his article noted, well, it's the animal part of us that, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously paraphrasing, that misdirects the soul or, or whatever term you might want to use. But that's just the way it is. We, we are not just souls. Maybe in heaven we're just souls, but not here. So when we ask, are people basically good? We're not asking, is the soul that is disembodied from the, the human uh, good? And, and it, by the way, the word in Hebrew, of course, as you know, I'm not bringing anything new here, is pure. And again, it's, you can't even attribute moral goodness to a soul because souls don't choose badness. You can only be good if there is a possibility uh, of bad. I'd just like to add one other thing, since we have this extra time here. Uh, why I said in the beginning why I thought this is the most important subject, again, an area where Rabbi Dunner and I di differ, I think it's in, of, of surpassing importance. If the belief that people are basically good, which was essentially ushered in with the Enlightenment and Jean-Jacques Rousseau, uh, that has led to to uh, terrible understandings. One of the reasons that we no longer blame people for the evil they do, rape, murder, uh, larceny, beatings, muggings, is that we blame everything else. That is the genesis of blaming America, blaming racism, blaming poverty uh, for, for the evil that people commit. After all, if you're basically good, if a car is, is, is just terrific, but it keeps running into people, you, you have a choice. You could say, well, it's a flawed design, or people don't know how to drive it, which is probably the best way. We don't know how to drive ourselves unless we are taught how to do so. Uh, or, or, you, or you have, I don't think, any other option except to blame the roads. Oh, they're really bad roads, and it causes people to run over people and, and be hit and run drivers. Uh, uh, we, um, um, so what was that? Okay, all right. All right. I didn't want to get into politics directly. Uh, I, I, and I really don't, I'm serious. The, uh, but it is very important, this issue. We, if you think people are basically good, which is a, a, at least half of America has bought this notion, they don't teach their children goodness. They spend all of their time telling them to get into a good college, not, not to have good character. How many parents have said to their child, I care more about your character than whether you get into a good college? It's, it's so small, and why? Because they believe they're basically good. All they need is love. So we'll love them up and tell them to study hard, and we'll get a terrific kid. But they don't get a terrific kid out of that. They get well-educated barbarians. What a colleague and, and that and that is what that is what is happening. So I, I'm going to read another quote from a fascinating article, and I'd like each of you to respond in two minutes, and then I'm going to go to the audience for a few questions. So, uh, according to one of the authors, we are a highly adaptive species, and uh, the biological answer on whether we're moral or immoral is that we have evolved behaviors that increase our chances of survival and reproduction. When we're in a stable and safe environment with enough food in our bellies, we have a biology of morality that sustains our place in the community of humans. 
and helps ensure our biological imperatives. However, in a highly stressful, resource-poor environment, we step on whoever is in front of us. Which academic wrote that? Um, this was... And I mean, not by name. I don't, I don't want to insult a person. I mean, was it Professor a university Paul, study? Paul Zack of Claremont. Yeah, okay. So a very quick, uh, uh, how do you explain Madoff? If having all our physical and, and, and uh, uh, other material needs met gives us a safe environment to be kind, how do you explain all the rich crooks? This notion, this is typical of the nonsense your kids learn at a university, that the, the genesis of bad behavior is, in, is material insecurity. That's what they said about the 9-11 the uh, murderers, terrorists. Oh, well, the, the genesis, this was in almost all our universities, the genesis of Islamic terrorism is poverty. It turns out, though, that every single one of the murderers of 9-11 was from a, an upper, upper middle class home in, in Egypt or, El, or Saudi Arabia or elsewhere. If, uh, if poverty causes crime, then wealth should cause decency. But it doesn't, does it? Um, I don't know. I'm not sure if that's a generalization or not, because the question is you'd have to do a study of sated people, not necessarily wealthy or uber-rich people, and determine if their tendencies were more towards uh, exploitation and violence towards others, or less inclined to be that way. And so that study, I don't think, has been done yet. I think it's been done every day in the newspaper. I, I think the upper middle class, upper class, is destroying this country much more than the poor people are. That, that may be their political belief system, but in, in any event, um, uh, Rabbi Dunner, I know you countered Dennis's comments about the Shoah, but um, we can say that humanity has assembled a horrifying rap sheet over the past 5,000 years, and especially if we look at the 20th century. And the point that I wanted to piggyback on Dennis's point was um, I met Father Patrick Dubois, who wrote the book Holocaust by Bullets, and he described in great detail how many of the communities rallied with the Nazis not to hide their Jewish neighbors, but to assemble them and bring them out for execution. Um, this happened in the Ukraine, in Babi Yar, uh, most infamously, but throughout that whole region of Belarus during the early days of the Nazi incursion. Um, furthermore, we know, we know, for example, that um, these kinds of atrocities occurred on a grand scale. Daniel Goldhagen writes in his book, uh, Ordinary Germans, that uh, how could these Germans sit by and say they had no knowledge of what Hitler was doing when he had been speaking so publicly? So when you look at that kind of brutality by the rank and file person, how can you say that people are inherently good? You need your microphone. Um, let me begin with Goldhagen's book, which I read. It came out 20 years ago. I think it's an excellent polemic. I don't necessarily agree with it. And I'm going to tell you in a minute why. 
But before I do that, I want to tell you that you're talking about 5,000 years of, Jew of human history. Um, in 5,000 years of human history, there have been some pretty heinous crimes against humanity, genocides. There's been villains from Genghis Khan all the way through to Osama bin Laden and many in between. At the same time, there have been millions of people who were not Genghis Khan or Osama bin Laden or Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin who didn't murder and who didn't participate in murder. So your accusation against them is that they somehow were participating in the crimes against humanity because all it needs for something bad to happen is for good people not to stand up against those who are evil. I think that you are ignoring sociology. If you live in a society, for example, where it's perfectly normal to hate Jews, even if you don't hate Jews, you're not going to be the one who wants to stand out and lose your job and lose your family uh, and lose your status because you want to be the one who stands up for those people who are, who are being persecuted. And of course it's true that that is something that is a cross to bear, but there is something called post-traumatic stress disorder. People who do participate in, uh, in a somehow by association in evil, or perhaps sometimes actively in evil, uh, do suffer from trauma afterwards, but the vast majority of people are not murderers. Those who are have succumbed to evil, have succumbed to the animal side. But usually people are not comfortable with murder. They're not comfortable with doing evil things. But let me come back to the original point, which is this. Yes, there were people who actively engaged with the Nazis, supported them, and murdered Jews. I'm a living example of those who didn't. My mother was born during the Holocaust in 1941. My grandparents had no idea what to do with her. And they gave her up to a non-Jewish couple who took her in, in Holland, nurtured her, looked after her, to the extent that this, the man in the couple uh, began to participate in partisan activities was arrested, never gave up my mother, went to a concentration camp, came back after the war, and gave my mother back to her parents. There are people who do incredibly kind things. No one, I, I can't explain it. I knew those people. We used to visit them every year. I can't explain it. Why would they have done that? They, had, they didn't have the Torah. Sorry to tell you, they were Christians. But they did have, have they, did, they did have Please an don't innate yell out. goodness. Please don't yell out. They did have an innate goodness to make sure that my mother survived. And you can watch her testimony on the Shoah Foundation. She talks about them. What an incredible testament to the human spirit, and the goodness of humanity. Uh, Dennis, do you want to respond, or shall we take questions from the audience? I want to respond on one other thing, uh, and that is uh, that it'll take probably 60 seconds. Uh, one, the reason that I wrote my original article, and 
for whatever it's worth, I just want to note this because this is the, a hum, on a human level. I write a syndicated column, Rabbi, and uh, it's, it's, it's widely published. I can't say it's widely read. I don't know, <laughs> but it's widely published. I was shocked that you read my article. Yes. Well, blame Joel Alperson, <laughs> who Joel. made this all possible in every way, and we thank him tremendously. Great, great efforts that he That's made. True. Thank, thank you, Joel. Thank you, Joel, wherever you are. Thank you. So the, the reason what, what, what and, and it was noted, and I don't, I'm not, I don't want to belabor that point at all, was that it, it bothered me that an Orthodox rabbi would have written this uh, for the reasons that I said earlier. But I just want to say, you cited uh, the two Genesis lines, and I, I don't know why they're not dispositive. God saw how great was man's wickedness on earth. How every plan devised by their minds was nothing but evil all the time. The inclination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Pirkei Avot, the great, the great chapter of ethics in the Talmud. Who is the strong man? The hero, the strong man, the one who conquers his urge. The strongest man, the gibor, the giant, is the one who conquers his urge. That urge Another is external, Avot. Dennis. That hmm? urge is external. It's not internal. You can conquer it because you're inherently good. You have the power to conquer something that okay. is inherently... All right. If that's how you understand it, I won't argue. The word Pirkei is actually Yitzro, Pirkei, your nature. Yeah. Pray for the welfare of the government, also the Talmud, for if not for fear of the government, people would swallow each other alive. From the Torah, or from the Tanakh actually, well from the Torah, do not follow, said by religious Jews multiple times a day, do not follow your heart or your eyes after which you prostitute yourselves. The, the Hebrew Bible trusts the heart as much as I do. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. If you don't like that translation, here's the Jewish one from JPS. Most devious is the heart, it is perverse. Who can fathom it? Rashi on the Jeremiah verse, Rashi, full of pretext and deceit, the heart is, deceit of all evil. Okay, just thought I'd give some Jewish All right, we're, we're going back and forth with verses. I want to make a quick announcement. If you have a question, you can line up here at the microphone, and please keep it succinct to one minute, or we cut the mic off. Uh, we want to hear your question and direct it either to Dennis Prager or to Rabbi Dunner, or to both of them. Please, let's begin. Or to neither. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. First of all, I want to thank you for a debate that's been mostly good, I think. Inherently good. Basically Inherently good. good. Innately basically good. good. It's been basically good. It's been funny, insightful, and filled with anecdotes about the Holocaust. So it's a mixed bag, but I appreciate it. It's a good night out. Good. So here's what I'll... Here's what I'll say. My thinking is, and I'd love to direct this to both of them to hear what they have to say, is that people are inclined to good, but it's the education that people receive that can pervert their idea of what's good into evil action. I believe that if we were to interview Hitler, you'd find a guy who felt he was doing great things for Germany, a good person in his mind. He was inclined towards good, but was educated 
in such a perverse way that his idea of good was evil. That still makes him inherently good, but poorly directed. All right, let's uh, take the response. Dennis, do you want to No, begin? no, that was not worth a boo. It's a very, actually, shh, it's please. It's a fascinating Don't insight. boo anyway. It's, it's, uh, that was not a foolish point. Uh, I, 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 I have grappled with that much of my life because the fact is, uh, I just wrote this up in, in, in my last column, in fact, under, in another context. Most Germans uh, in the 1932 elections, the last free elections in Germany until after World War II, first of all, only one-third of Germans voted for the Nazis. Two-thirds did not. That's an, not an insignificant point. Among the one-third that did, most were not voting to kill Jews. They were voting to save Germany. So there, there, there is, uh, and, and we know that because Hitler actually toned down anti-Semitism to get more votes among regular Germans because it was not a, it was not, and I agree with you, I don't think Goldhagen, uh, his thesis about Germans is, is a fair one. Uh, the, the, the human, it's the human problem more than the German problem, in my opinion. So it's a very fair question. All it does, though, is prove how difficult making good people is. If, if people could delude themselves so easily into doing spectacular evil, that was the famous Milgram experiment. Uh, if people could, at Stanford, if people could delude themselves into thinking they're doing good so easily while they are doing bad, it's a bizarre thing to say we're basically good. There is something wrong with our ability to assess goodness that is intrinsic to us if we think that we're doing good by building Auschwitz. All right, uh, Rabbi Dunner, would you respond to this gentleman's Very quickly, I'm, I'm going question. to say that um, there is a... A psychologist, he's a professor of psychology at the University of Massachusetts Amherst called Irvin Staub. He's emeritus, he, he, he's quite old, he's in his 80s. He defines evil as follows. Extreme human destructiveness that is not commensurate with instigating conditions. For example, Jews were no threat to the Germans or anyone else for that matter, so gassing them in their millions was evil. On the other hand, go back to the baby example, a baby crying because it wants milk or because it wants its mummy may be annoying, but it's reasonable, it's not evil. He talks about genocide, in fact, he is a, a great expert on genocide, and he says as follows, genocide results from the perceived frustration of basic human needs and the development of destructive modes of need fulfillment. Basically, Adolf Hitler believed that Jews were evil, and therefore, he needed to eradicate Jews from the world. He needed to exterminate them. Let's take the next question. Yes, this, this fellow right here. Yeah. Good evening. Thank you, hosts, debaters, and audience, first off. Uh, only by speaking out can we create lasting change. Deshaun Stokes. My question is for you, Dennis Prager. Without knowing me, would you say I'm a good person, a neutral person, or a bad person? And as a recent college graduate, I look back at my heritage and experiences. I served on the student government and, def and defended Judaism and conservatism for two years. 
And for the last 10 years, a whole decade, thank God, every Thursday afternoon, I would package food for Jewish families who didn't have enough money to purchase that food for Shabbat. My paternal grandfather, a Holocaust survivor, provided for many communities and raised an Orthodox family with the laws and commandments, even though he survived, not lived, survived a living hell. <laughs> my maternal grandmother, my, my maternal grandfather, a U.S. Army chaplain who gave his life in 1968 Vietnam, during the Vietnam War on the second night of Hanukkah, also provided for a very... All right, so we have to come to your question, my, please. My question. I couldn't have come from any better ancestors that gave me the lives of goodness. So how can you claim that I'm not an inherently good person? <laughs> well, if you're a person, you're not inherently good. If people are not inherently good, you're one of them. I don't know if I'm inherently good. I know that I was raised with, with extraordinarily powerful values by pretty strict parents who uh, didn't care what I thought about myself. They cared how I acted, and it worked. And uh, I tried to be a good person. It was very important to me. Uh, so I don't, I don't walk around thinking I'm innately good. I walk around thinking, I hope I'm good, and I really work at it because I'm probably not innately good, so I really got to work at it. If you think you're innately good, why would you try to be good? Or better. Uh, next question, yes. Hello. Um, I have to say, I, it was not entirely clear to me, or it seemed to me throughout the debate that you were often talking past each other. Um, I suppose it's not entirely clear to me where the disagreement is between you two other than on the, on the, the statement of the debate. Are humans inherently good? It seems to me, for example, Rabbi Dunner acknowledged that humans have an animal instinct against which we must struggle. Uh, and that sounds remarkably similar to what Mr. Prager said earlier regarding, uh, thank you, uh, that, that, se <laughs> that seems remarkably similar to what uh, Mr. Prager said earlier regarding the need to enforce goodness on people. I guess my question is, to what extent is this actually a debate about values and to what extent do you just not like the phrasing? Is this Wait, so the, I, because of the speaker position, I didn't hear the last words. What, what, repeat them to me, can, you, can you Rabbi? I, I, I said, to what extent is this a debate about values or a disagreement about the phrasing of the... I just want to say, that's basically my question. That's what I was... So to what extent it is a debate about values is or, I'm really sorry... really more a debate about values than the inherent goodness right, of no, people, all this right? This is inherently bad behavior, but I have to say... Uh, okay. I, I was right, very wait, dissatisfied. Wait, 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 wait. You had your opportunity. I know, right, no, no, but it's I not fair get... to the people waiting. I want okay, right, to. I'm sorry, it's not fair to the people waiting. I know how badly you feel. Okay, okay. No, no, no. It's, it's okay. P people get passionate, and it's fine. I understand that. So, okay. So, are you asking, in, a, in essence, where do we really differ? If he acknowledges, this is what I heard from you. It's a, always. A, I, I do this all the time, and they never have speakers facing here so you hear much clearer than we do on stage. So are you asking where really do we differ since he acknowledges that we, we in fact can do great evil even though we're innately good, and I acknowledge that we can do great good and great evil, so you wanna know where we differ? Yes. I yes, would. so we differ in what is the raw material. That's what the debate was about. I think the raw material issue is much more important than the rabbi. His first comment was he doesn't think this is that important a debate. 
you would seem to align yourself, and that's perfectly fine, with, with the rabbi in this matter. I think it is the second most important question in the world. The first is, is there a God? The second is how you, how you see human nature. And right. if you see human nature the way I do, then you must spend all day raising good children when you have children in your home and the rest of your life raising yourself to be a good person. That work is not ne necessary if I'm already good. Jenny. So I would see it quite differently. My, my position would be is that we want to highlight and bring to the fore the good in human nature and prevent the pitfalls that might uh, drive someone over the edge of the cliff or through a red line in terms of them doing the wrong thing, which I believe is the orthodox position based on numerous commentaries that I cited in my piece and in the talk I gave tonight. Take the next question, please. Hazan Baram, everyone give him a cheer. I will divide uh, my question for three parts. First of all, Dennis, uh, I want just to ask you about the opinion of tshuva, repentance. Rav Cook said that tshuva, the whole experience of tshuva, is to be connected to yourself because yourself is good and doing sins, it's a mechanism of disconnected from yourself. He wrote a whole book about that, Orota Tshuva, which he pictured the idea of repentance in a revolutionary idea, which basically he said, yourself is good, and what you need to do on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is to be connected to yourself. He said the same thing about education. He said the mechanism of education is to reveal yourself, to get access to yourself. That's the work of educators and us as leaders, as a community, as teachers, as parents, is to allow our kids to be connected to ourselves. Third, the idea of heart is bad or not bad. There is a pasuk in Dvarim, Umal Hashem et levavcha ve et levav zarecha laava et Hashem elokav. So you have to circumcise your heart. Rabbeinu Yona said, on the spot, he has a commentary about the pasuk, he said that the orla is the form part that a man or any human being grows on his heart and your job is to take the foreign part which, which is the Ola and reveal your heart as a pure good heart which is con direct contradiction to what you said from Jeremiah. Okay, so uh, all I could say is uh, it, it, in 3,000 years of Jewish writing you are going to find a whole host of opinions I fully acknowledge. So the question is, what is normative? I return to my original question. If we're basically good, why did God tell us at Sinai, do not commit murder? There's a simple answer to that, because he put us in this world where those um, desires exist. If we were angels, we'd still be in heaven. We live in this world, and we are a strange hybrid of an animal and a soul. The soul desires to do good, and that's really what animates us. And then we have the animal, which works with the animal instinct, which wants to do all the stuff that you're saying is bad. We have to be true to our real selves. We're not chimpanzees, and we're not insects, and we're not pigs and cows and dogs. We are human beings, and we have this neshama. We have to find that neshama and make that be the shining and guiding light of who we are. Dennis, do you want to respond to this? All right. 
So um, human beings tend towards addictive behaviors. You know, I know, Dennis, you were talking about these laws that relate to the basic commandments that because human beings' inclinations, that their tendency to addictive behaviors drives them in this direction, how important it is from an extremely early age to begin to nurture and develop. And I didn't hear either of you talk about the nurture education component of this in terms of shaping uh, from infancy, shaping someone as they grow. I see education as something similar to what Nati just said, which is uncovering, taking the husk off the, uh, you know, like the peanut. In order to get to the peanut, you need to take off the shell. In order to find the real person, you need to take off that shell. And education is making sure that we find ourselves and be true to who we are, as I just said a few moments ago, as opposed to educating us away from our badness, which is, I think, what Dennis believes, because babies are not good, so we have to educate them to be good. Uh, I'll take that as your closing statement. Dennis, would you offer yours as well? Well, I, 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 think, I think it's clear where we differ. Uh, I, I don't tend toward the mystical in my attitudes in life. I, I look at the, the reality, and the reality is that it is harder to be a good person. At times, it seems to me that the definition of good was one who didn't murder. Well, not everybody was a Genghis Khan or a Hitler. I, I never understood those who don't murder as being good. They're just not murderers. <laughs> uh, th th there is, a, there is an, a great achievement in being a good person, and it is a very hard thing to do. And you must work on yourself constantly in order to do it. Nothing, almost nothing good comes naturally. Uh, we have the lowest birth rate and the lowest marriage rate in the history of America at this time among the wealthiest kids who go to college, generally middle class, upper middle class, upper class families. They're not even getting married, which is, if that's not fundamental to being a good person, a striving to make a family, certainly in Judaism, it doesn't get bigger than that. Get married and make a family. Torah masim tovim. Child is born, and what do we say? What do we wish the child when it is born in Jewish life? Torah masim tovim. Study the Torah so you learn wisdom and how to be a good person. Chupa, get married. Masim tovim, do good. That's pretty, that's a great formula. It's not an easy formula, but that's the best formula for making a good person. And when I see what's happening in the United States, these romantic views of human nature are, I think, a big reason for reason to worry about our future. However, I want to say that we can save this country and one should not despair. That is wrong to despair. But goodness is an art. It's harder to be a good person than be, than be a good pianist. And look at how much time is devoted to piano playing to be a good pianist. Thank you. Thank you for Dennis Prager and Rabbi Penny Dunner. And thank all of you for being here tonight. Thank you. Laila Tov. Good night, everyone.